I want to ask you a question. And this is a rhetorical question, so don't respond too quickly. Don't raise your hands or anything too quickly. But I want to ask you the question. How many of you would like to be rich? And I would follow that up with the verse in Matthew chapter 19 where Jesus himself says it is hard for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Hardly a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And he actually even says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, the tiny little part of a needle that you push a string through. It's easier for a camel to get through that hole than it is for a rich man to get into heaven. The, the context that he's saying that is when a young man goes to him and says, first of all, he calls him good teacher. <laughs> and the man, Jesus Christ, says, why do you call me good? There is none good except one. And uh, I see, this, is, this would be so much fun to dissect tonight, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to, as soon as I can, give this microphone to Brother Hart and let him minister. But he says there's not any good except one that is God. Now, if you will, just let your mind wander for just a minute. Because we, we teach oneness, right? We believe that God was manifest in the flesh and the fullness of God dwelled in Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ says, I'm not good. Only one is good and that's God. Pause, hang on, time out. I thought you were the one. I thought you were God. I thought you were the oneness. That's just a teaser for you. Think about that. But he said, he's telling it to this guy. And the guy says, um, what do I have to do to get into heaven? And he says, obey the commandments. Easy enough. There you go. Obey the commandments. What if, what, if, what if he would have said, okay, thank you. I'll see you there. And left. And obeyed the commandments. But he says, this guy has got some questions. He says, which ones? Can you be more specific? Good teacher. Be more specific. Which what do I have to do? Obey the commandments. And then he lists them. I'm not taking the time to read it, but it's in there. Matthew around 19, uh, verse 20, 21, 22, in that area. He says, well, he starts to list. Obey this and do this and don't do that. And he gives him about seven or eight commandments there. And he says, I've done all of those. What 
lackest I? What, do, what am I missing? Think about it. This guy is saying he's done all that he's supposed to do. So there's got to be something in him that's still asking, still wondering, and, and wanting to make sure. Either he's just wanting to be double sure, certain, no questions asked. I know I'm going to go to heaven. Or he might be feeling some type of a void, something that says, I just don't know. I know that I, I, I have done this and I haven't done that. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, obeying these commandments, but I don't think that's enough. I feel like I'm still not headed where I'm supposed to go. Now, just I don't know if anybody's ever felt that way before. I know that I've done this and that and that, and even the ones that I shouldn't have done, I repented for them, got them under the blood, and I'm, I'm living a, a good life, and I'm doing what the elder says, doing what the bishop says, I'm doing what the Bible says, I'm, I'm honoring my brothers and sisters, and I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the good Christian stuff, but I feel like I don't know that I'm actually headed to heaven. What am I missing? What am I lacking? And Jesus says, well, if you want to be perfect, and that means complete, not missing anything, not lacking anything, I'll tell you what you're lacking. Take all that you have and sell it. Give the money to the poor. Then you will be perfect complete, whole, that, that feeling that you have that's making you feel like, I don't know that I'm headed exactly where I want to get. You sell, you, owe, you do this, sell all this, give the money away, and you will be complete. That's what Jesus tells him. And he went away sorrowful, like, oh, that's not what I wanted to hear. I wish it was something else. I wish there was another way to get there. And that's when Jesus turns to people that are around and says, it's hard for people with great possessions. Now let me point out, nowhere in, in, the, in the description of that man in the, in the, in the context does it call him rich. But it says he has great possessions. He's got a lot of stuff. And then Jesus says it's hard for a rich man. It's hard for someone with great possessions. Because rich, we, rich is, uh, it means different things to different people. There's a word for that I'm looking for. It, it, relative, thank you. Rich is relative. So, but, but great possessions, that's not so relative. It, it can be a person that you can't even see the grass in their yard because they got so much stuff on their yard. So great in number, numerical. Or it could be a person with one thing prized and in their eyes that is my great possession so it's not just the stuff 
It is, where does this stuff take, take uh, priority in my life? Great possessions. I'm here to tell you tonight, there is no greater possession than a relationship with God. There is nothing more valuable than a relationship with God where you know beyond a doubt I'm doing, I'm going, I'm living the way that I'm supposed to. There is no, there is no question here. There's no doubt here. That is what the guy was missing and that's what his possessions were keeping him from having. Amen. Can we pray one more time, Lord? I pray, Lord Jesus, that you help us. God, we want our lives to be in order. Jesus, we want our priorities to be in order. God, whatever you say is the most important thing. Whatever you tell us to do, God, Jesus, we want to obey. We want to have no hindrances in our life, God. I want to have nothing holding me back from being able to obey you, from being able to follow you. In the name of Jesus, I got to follow you, Jesus. I don't want to be tied down to anything that would prevent me from walking in your way. Lord, I don't want to have a, a relationship that would prevent me, God, from following after you. God, I don't want to have connections, God, that keep me disconnected from you. I need Jesus. I need the right priority. I need to know that you are first, God. As the scripture says, we seek you first. God, we seek you first in order of priority, Lord. We put you first in our life, Lord Jesus. As the scripture says, you are God alone and beside you there is none other. Jesus beside you. In my life, I don't want there to be anything, God, that ranks as equal or above you. God, in your name, in the name of Jesus, hallelujah. I hope that you are, hope you're listening tonight already because the Lord's definitely already speaking and uh, definitely it always makes me feel probably a hundred times more comfortable when um, Elder gets up and starts preaching my notes <laughs> and um, I'm thankful for that. So if you can... Uh, if you can kind of put a spiritual or mental uh, bookmark right there where, where Elder just left off, and we're going to pick, pick back up right there um, in just like two seconds. But I want, to, I want to make mention tonight, and it's so great to have Sister Flowers with us, such an honor and privilege from, from down south, no stranger. Um, but... Uh, I want to also make mention we have a uh, birthday today. Brother uh, Callum is uh, 12 years old today. The big 12. And uh, I thought it'd be cool. I, I'm sorry, Callum, I thought of this a little bit last minute, so the box is a little rough. Uh, but I thought it'd be cool to give you a dozen eggs 
<laughs> for your 12th birthday. 12 eggs. I'm just kidding. Take a peek, though. It's not 12 eggs. Some golf balls. I got him some golf balls. <laughs> I just thought it'd be funny put them in an egg carton. So happy birthday, Callum. We love you. And uh, for those of you who don't know, he's, he's quite, the, uh, quite the golfer. So and hopefully that can help out his game a little bit now. <laughs> Amen. So you still have that uh, little spiritual bookmark, <laughs> finger on the spot where we left off. Thank you for indulging me, letting me uh, honor Brother Callum. Um, if you have your Bibles and will turn with me to, we're going to look at what Elder just talked about uh, in another gospel. So let's jump to Mark chapter 10. Yeah. Isn't God awesome? We are of one spirit, amen, one spirit, one voice. I wouldn't trade that for anything. Mark chapter 10, um, and let's pick up in verse 17. So Elder already laid kind of the, the foundation, the groundwork, so I will... Uh, not try to take too long here in this passage, but it says, When he was gone forth to the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, uh, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? I think that's a pretty good question. I want to inherit eternal life as well. And Jesus responded to him, and he said, just, just as Elder said, he said, Why call thou me good? There's none good but one, and that is God. And he goes on, he said, he says, thou knowest the commandments. He said, do not commit adultery. He just lists a few of them. Do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, and defraud not, and honor thy father and mother. And by this point, this young man's feeling pretty good um, because he feels like Jesus just listed all these things that he's been doing perfect. And so he answers and he tells him that. <laughs> he said, Master, I've observed all these things from my youth. And Jesus, and this is pretty awesome, Jesus beholding him, loved him. When he looked at this young man, he, he could see, I believe he could see the hunger in his heart. He could see the desire that he was asking from. And um, he looked at him and he saw him with love. And this is Jesus' response here to the young man. He says, one thing thou lackest. One thing thou lackest can just imagine that, that young man, his eyes getting wide, his ears perking up. Okay, you know, one thing, lay it on me. <laughs> That's got to be simple, just, just one thing. And Jesus hits him with uh, something he didn't see coming, kind of the haymaker. And he says, go thy way and sell whatever thou hast, give to the poor, and thou shalt have tre treasure in heaven. Seems worth it, right? These earthly temporal possessions to give them up for, for treasure in heaven. But here in Mark, Jesus goes on. And I think, and this is not to change or anything from what Elder said, but I think that this, this gospel 
shows us kind of a, a broader perspective because the, the possessions were, just as he said, the possessions were what had this young man. Those were the things keeping him from, from going deeper in relationship with God, from going to the place in God that he wanted to go even. that We see him here with this desire, and he wanted to go there. But then when he heard the cost, he had some apprehension. He, he pulled back a little bit. But, but you notice Jesus tells him one thing you lack, but then he says, get rid of all your stuff. And so that can't necessarily be the one thing he lacks because he's not gaining anything. <laughs> he's getting rid of everything. And that's why I, when I thought of this the other day, I, the first part that came to me was Jesus saying one thing thou lack. And, I, and it just hit me like, wait a second, but he tells him to get rid of everything. Well, here in Mark, he goes on. After telling him, sell your stuff, give it to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven. But then he gives him an instruction. And I believe this is the, this is the one thing. This is the result of obedience to what Jesus said. He says, and come, take up the cross and follow me. <laughs> you might be giving all these things up, these earthly possessions, these natural things, these things that maybe give you status in the world, in your community, with your friends, with your coworkers, those things that you look at and see as, as value. And it may hurt you to give those things up. When you give them up and when you come, pick up your cross, follow me. What you gain can't even be measured, can't even be compared no matter the riches that you may have can't be compared to what you gain when you pick up your cross, lay down your life, follow him. Because it's eternal life. It's life beyond this life that's just a vapor. That it's life that it's everlasting. And... Um, I want to read another place here, if you'll turn with me to, to the Old Testament, to Exodus 20. And you'll notice kind of a pattern in Scripture. And in the New Testament, because of the, because of the New Covenant, and because of Jesus being the, the sacrifice, being the spotless Lamb that, that took away our sins, and that being His plan all along, um, once Jesus died on the cross... We, we know and, and realize that we no longer have to now make uh, animal sacrifices for our sins. We don't have to make those sacrifices every day. And then uh, the atonement, we don't have to do that once a year to push our sins forward. Because when we're covered in the blood of Jesus, the spotless lamb, our sins are washed away forever. Um, but you'll realize this pattern in Scripture when it talks about, in, in the Old Testament, it talks about altars and places of sacrifice, places of, of killing animals and giving things up. There's, there's quite a bit of parallel between altars and, and crosses uh, in the New Testament. And because we realize we don't literally pick up a cross and die on it uh, like Jesus did for us, but that, that life, that commitment of surrender, of, of yielding our, our will and our desire to Him daily is is synonymous in many ways to the altars of, of the Old Testament. 
And so keep in mind what Jesus tells that young man there at first. He tells him, he, he brings up to him the commandments, those things that Jesus already knew that what the young man was thinking. He already knew that he'd done those things. And I, I think in a way it was kind of a test to see what his response would be, knowing that he was doing all the right things, that he had the right walk, the right talk. Um, and so here in Exodus chapter 20, this is when the, um, those Ten Commandments, he, he mentioned just a few of them, but that's, this is when those Ten Commandments were, were given. Um, and I'll read a few of them here quickly, starting in verse 2. This is the most important one of them all. I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, and thou shalt have no other gods before me. And I would just pause there and say that, you know, we know through Scripture, and <laughs> Elder touched on it already too, there's, there is only one God. So I, as a young kid, I, I always, you know, I knew that, I believed that, but when I read Scriptures like this one, don't have any other gods before me, as a little kid, I, was, I would always scratch my head and be like, well, God, I thought there's no other gods. <laughs> How can we have other gods before you? And then as I've, as I've grown in understanding and knowledge a little bit, I realize, especially in today's society, we see throughout Scripture idolatry in, in many different ways. But in today's society, idolatry is still just as prevalent, probably more, but it, it manifests in so many ways. And one of those main things is, is stuff. <laughs> idolatry is manifested in stuff. Just things that we have, things that we want, things that we covet. It's one of the commandments not to covet. <laughs> and just stuff gets in the way of our, our desire, our walk with God. And, and if we're not careful, the very first commandment we can, we can break simply because of, of stuff, because of things. And we can come before God and say, okay, God, I want to go deeper with you. You know, I've, I've done all these other commandments i i think but why can't i what's what's hindering me and a lot of times it's just stuff <laughs> to keep it pretty simple um and the lord goes on here and talks about not having any graven images and so on and so forth all of these are important there's not one necessarily less than the other um and then here in verse 12, he mentions the, the things that he told the young man, honor your father and mother, don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness. And then look down with me to verse 22 here. The Lord said to Moses, he's continuing all in the same train of thought, giving them the commandments. And he says, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make with me gods of silver, neither shall you make unto you gods of gold. And watch this. He, he transitions and starts talking about altars here. And he says, An altar of earth thou shalt make unto me, and shalt sacrifice thereon thy burnt offerings, thy peace offerings, and thy sheep, thy oxen. And watch this. This is this this part here has stuck with me for for over a week now. The Lord tells Moses, he says, speaking of altars, he says, 
In all places where I record my name, I will come unto thee, and I will bless thee. And then he goes on and says, if, if you're going to make an altar out of hewn stone, don't, don't build it out of hewn stone or put tools upon it. But it's amazing to me that he, in the same passage, the same context that he mentions the Ten Commandments, the, those first, that first part of, of the law, that, that, that moral law, that he then talks about having an altar, having a place of sacrifice. And where his name is, where, where his name is upon that, he's going to come unto it. He's going to visit it, and he's going to bless it. And I think there from the beginning, he was, he was establishing, you notice he starts the passage speaking uh, in those commandments. They're translated there, the ten statements. And um, he starts with saying, I'm the Lord your God, which have brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. They came from this place of oppression, of, of not having much, of you know, being, being slaves, building all these things and and it's it's amazing you start to read through the exodus and how quickly they forgot what god had done for them and how that they had even though they were oppressed how that they had multiplied and all the riches and things that they got to take with them which the initial purpose of was to go out and make sacrifices unto god and they, they forgot the fact they got, they got focused more on, on their stuff and also the things back in Egypt that they used to have that they forgot if they would keep that altar, that place where God's name was, that he would visit them there and that he would bless them. And that's one of the great, I, I've seen it in my own life, one of the great deceptions of the enemy is that, no, you, you, you can't sacrifice that. You can't give up that because... You know, then you'll be lacking or then you'll, how are you going to pay your bills or how are you going to do this or that? And he's, he's causing us to forget the very word of God that says, well, if you sacrifice, if you give it to me, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to come to you and I'm going to bless you. And all this, as the Lord's been dealing with me about this, all this has been um, in, in the context, just in the in the, I don't know how to put it, but with, with, the, with it being the root of having a relationship with God. The Lord, he doesn't delight in sacrifices. He doesn't delight in burnt offerings or else he would ask for them. But the Lord desires a broken spirit, contrite heart. He desires us to, our sacrifice is not because he needs us to give him stuff. It's not because he wants us to be poor or be broken because we have no money but it's because he wants us to be broken and dependent on him in all that we have and i feel like and it's so interesting you see you see the church even sometimes respond to to the climate of the world and you know the economy can kind of take a downturn and and people sometimes even in the church will get a little nervous and and everyone we're, we're all human we're all susceptible to it but we can begin to wonder okay god where's you know where's the next where's my next rent check going to come from where's this thing going to come from and 
But we have to remember and realize that God's economy is not based on this world's economy. The, the structure of the kingdom of God is in so many ways quite opposite of the kingdom of, and, and the authority, the powers of this world. Because it doesn't make sense in the world to, to sacrifice, to give up things, and to gain blessings in return. Um, and I want to look at one other, one other scripture here. I think it's in yeah, 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 18. One of my, one of my favorite stories here. First Kings chapter 18, and I think this really is the kind of the question that the Lord wants to ask us tonight. First Kings 18:21. And this is all in context of Elijah. He had he'd prayed that there wouldn't be rain, and and so there wasn't rain for all these years, and so now they're starting to deal with famine and drought and they're starting to pay the consequences in the natural so people are starting to get afraid and wonder what's going on and so verse 21 elijah he came to the people and said and this is the question he said how long halt you between two opinions he said if the lord be god then follow him if the lord be god then believe it (laughs) If the Lord be God, then what's your problem, <laughs> essentially? If the Lord be God, then why are you worrying about how you're going to pay your rent? <laughs> and I feel like the children of Israel, that's kind of the place that they were in, this, this one foot in, one foot out, because, you know, they see, and if we're not careful, we can fall into the same place. Well, look at the, tree, the church down the street. Look at how nice of a building they have or look at look at the pastor over there drives a an escalade and <laughs> you know what are we what are we doing wrong how come maybe that bail stuff is is not so bad maybe we can do a little of this a little of that but if the lord be god follow him but if bail then follow him it's interesting because the people they answered him not a word and then skip with me to verse 30. And in between there, the prophets of Baal, they all, they all do their thing, cut themselves and all this stuff. And of course, there's no response. And it's essentially, it's, it's interesting. This is essentially the battle. It's the battle of the gods. <laughs> not really because Baal's not a god. But it's the battle of, of the prophets. It's Elijah versus all these prophets of Baal and the way that they the way that they battled it wasn't wasn't a boxing match it wasn't a wasn't a one-on-one basketball game but they battled with with altars (laughs) and the prophets of Baal set up their altar and did their thing all day long cut themselves and dance and all the, all the things that they did, of course, to no avail. And then verse 30, Elijah said to the people, um, 
Elisha said unto the people, Come near unto me. And the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. It's interesting because that place he was in, there already had been an altar at one time. This was a place where there used to be sacrifices made. There used to be a trust in God. But over time, that altar had been broken down. Over time, that altar had just become forgotten. So the first thing he does is he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took the 12 stones according to the number of the tribes and the sons of Jacob. The stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar. And, and you know the story. He puts wood about it, cuts the bowl, lays it on it. And he asks them to fill four barrels of water and then pour those four barrels on the altar three times. So 12 barrels of water in the middle of this drought. He sacrifices on this altar. And God hasn't even done anything yet. God hasn't spoken to him and said, I'm going to cause it to rain again. He's, he, but he sacrificed the most precious and most valuable thing to them in that day. He did it a second time, and then he did it a third time. And the water ran about the altar and filled the trench also with water. And then 36, it came to pass the time of the offering, the evening sacrifice, that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel. He was making a declaration that the God that he was sacrificing to was the one true God. Thou art the God of Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. And then fire, the fire of the Lord fell, and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, he is God, and the Lord, he is the God. Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. They took him. Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and threw, slew them there. And of course, shortly after that, they heard the sound of an abundance of rain. Shortly after that, that God responded. They didn't see it immediately. They went up and looked, and there was no clouds, and then prayed some more, and Still no clouds and prayed some more and then a cloud about the size of a man's hand and he tells them, you better run. <laughs> you better get in your chari chariot and hightail it out of here. And what they saw in the natural didn't seem possible. It had been three years, but immediately, and that rain started coming. And what I think is powerful here is, is the response of, of the people when they saw the fire of God fall in response to Elijah's sacrifice. And I believe that, you know, we, we, don't, ever, we don't ever make sacrifices to be seen of people or, or to prove something or to gain or earn something. We're never going to earn something by sacrificing. But I believe that through our sacrifices, through our offerings to the Lord, 
that the fire that comes down upon us, the fire that is lit upon us, because you realize we are, we're supposed to present our bodies a living sacrifice, right? Holy and acceptable before God, which is a reasonable service. And you realize that once you receive the Holy Ghost, once you're baptized in his name, we now have that name upon us. So just like in Exodus, when it said, where my name is, I'm going to visit you, I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to bless you. When we begin to lay our lives down as a living sacrifice, the fire of God is going to come upon us, and his Holy Ghost is going to flow through us. And people around us, they're not going to realize and know, man, look, so-and-so gave $10,000 last week, or so-and-so gave $100. You know, we can't, it's relative, as Zelda said, the one lady gave I think it was like two pence or two mites and jesus said she gave more than all of them so whatever the lord asks you to sacrifice or whatever is sacrifice and offering in your life god honors that and he'll respond to it with the holy ghost and with fire and i i can't remember i think it was um this might be wrong but i think it was smith wigglesworth who said said something along the lines of prayer and being set on fire by God going into these cities and being set on fire by God and and the people just coming to watch him burn <laughs> said the people didn't come because of he because he, he could preach and because he was eloquent and any of those things but they just came to watch him burn because he'd made some sacrifices he'd made some some commitments before God he'd put the name of God above his possessions his stuff and he didn't allow the he didn't allow the media and advertising to tell him like he needed the latest Jordans or the latest PlayStation or whatever you fill in the blanks. I won't try to be relevant for all of you. <laughs> but he put the relationship with God and a cross above earthly possessions. And I know in these valleys, and many of you have probably heard it before, um, and my dad, I heard him telling the story again the other day of a vision he had, and I, I want to say it was 2019, where he was in prayer, and he saw, he saw from a bird's eye view this, all these valleys and, and flames of fire resting upon homes throughout all of the, the lower valley. And then he was telling the story the other day of how he read, he read a book by... Um, can't remember his name now it'll come to me in a second but a missionary to I think it was the Amazon and he in this book he had he tells a, a similar dream and vision that he had of lighthouses all up and down the Amazon River and then just last year um, it was something done for the Washington district or mission something something in Washington and brother Rama Duncan from Chicago he ministered to um, some Washington ministers, and he mentioned almost exactly verbatim similar dreams and visions of the Chicago area, seeing flames of fire on homes. And then that same gentleman was preaching in Dallas, and he had thought it was just for his church and in his city. And then he was preaching in Dallas and in prayer before service, and the Lord gave him the same vision for Dallas. 
And so we, we have to realize as, as individuals and as the church that, of course, we, you know, we, we hear all these charges and commands of Scripture and have, have the Word of God that know and, and know that there's going to be a worldwide revival. But we can sometimes put so much pressure on ourselves to, to light the whole world on fire with revival. But if we would, as individuals, each and every individual, catch on fire by the Holy Ghost and allow him to consume us, to consume all the, just the chaff of our life, those, those things that he wants to winnow out anyway, that he wants to, on the threshing floor, just grind out of our life. If we would allow those things to just be caught up in the fire and each of us individually would catch on fire, then we would see this valley <laughs> inflamed with the Holy Ghost. We would see this valley catch on fire with revival. We would see the Yakima Nation and Wapato and Toppenish, Brother Leland, families there catch on fire. Because it's not a work that we can do. It's not a work that we can do by preaching better, by being smarter, by obeying more commandments. But it's only going to happen when we allow our lives to be consumed. When we allow our identities to be laid down. You know, I'm, I'm a young man still. And I, can, I, still, I still, if I'm not careful, deal a lot with identity and think too much about, Lord, what's my identity? Who am I supposed to be? But by the grace of God, I'm learning and realizing that my identity really matters zero. <laughs> Not at all. My identity should be Jesus Christ. <laughs> Once I have his name on me, if I allow his, the Holy Ghost truly to work in me, people aren't going to see me. People are not going to be drawn to Life Church because I'm all flowery and <laughs> wonderful. Not at all. <laughs> Thank goodness, because then I, would have, then I would have to be something and someone I'm not. But it's the work of the Holy Ghost, and I could, I don't want to take too long, I could talk about the book of Acts, which I believe that we're still living in today, the works of the apostles, the, the working of the Holy Ghost. Actually, let's, let's turn there, if, if you would. Acts chapter, Acts chapter 7, and I'm finishing here. You know, Acts chapter 2, of course, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, the upper room, Jesus, not Jesus, but Peter, tells him, repent, be baptized, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then he, he really, he gives the whole, he gives the outline and the, he gives the basis of apostolic ministry in verse 42, he says, They continued steadfastly in apostles' doctrine and fellowship, breaking of bread and in prayers. And then verse 46, he says, They continued daily 
with one accord in the temple, breaking of bread, and from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. And then Acts chapter 7, we know where Stephen is being stoned. <laughs> He's being accused of blaspheming Moses and the teachings of the law. And then chapter 7, he just goes in. He doesn't hold back. And he preaches the, really, literally the message of his life. And he goes on talking about Moses and how Moses was seen as a, as a judge and, and a ruler, but God called him to be a ruler and a deliverer. And then in verse, um, verse 43 of Acts chapter 7, he's, he's talking to these people and, who are accusing him, and he says, he says, you look up to the tabernacle of, of Moloch and the star of your God, Rimphan, figures which you made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he had, as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen. And then verse 46, um, speaking of David here, go down to 47. But Solomon built him a house. Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet. But heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has not my hand made all these things? See, Stephen was dealing with the fact that they'd gotten their attention on buildings, <laughs> on the tabernacle and on the synagogues and on these other places. And he said, look, you can't contain the Spirit of God in, in a building anyway. He doesn't, he doesn't even dwell in temples and tabernacles made with hands heavens is thrown earth is his footstool how can you contain him in a building no matter how how beautiful or elaborate you make it and, and then he calls him stiff-necked and uncircumcised and you know the story then they stone him and and then the church was persecuted and sent out dispersed to go bring the gospel to all of asia because they got their focus beyond themselves and they got their focus on on the kingdom amen can, you, can we pray for just a moment here In Jesus name In Jesus name Jesus, we're going to be obedient to you, God, in these days, in this hour. Father, we want to be living sacrifices, Jesus, holy and acceptable before you. Father, I pray that you transform our minds, God, that we not be conformed to this world. We be transformed by the renewing of our minds, Jesus, as we present our bodies, as we present our bodies tonight. 
getting our focus, getting our attention off the things of this world, getting our attention, oh God, off of our earthly possessions and those things that would hold us down, those things, God, that would keep us from entering into your kingdom, that would keep us from entering into everlasting life. And God forbid, would keep us from bringing others with us. I just want to make one comment as we continue this prayer. There's been things said about what what things we possess, our stuff, about status. I felt the Lord just share this with me. The answer, I would say, is in the scripture it says, put on Christ, for as many have put on Christ. But he becomes our identity. He would give you an identity. But this is what I felt like, like the Lord had said. He, he said, we want stuff or we like our stuff because it gives us status. We like status because it gives us identity. And we like that identity because we are not content with his identity. I don't even think I could say that again, except I wrote it down. But he's giving us answers tonight, I believe. I want us to pray. This altar is open if you want to pray, but we need to get some things in order with the Lord tonight. In the name of Jesus.